Corinthians chapter or 10. Our second service is on it. First service, they're like, where are we at? Anyway, <laughs> second Corinthians chapter 10. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. We want everybody to follow along, know where we're at. Have God's word in your hand, in your hearts. Second Corinthians 10. For those of you who asked me about baptism, about being water baptized, we are going to do a water baptism the second Sunday of November. And we're going to have a barbecue too. So we're going to break bread together also. Whether it's legal or not, we're going to break bread together. You rebel. <laughs> so. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we're so grateful. It's so good to be in your presence this morning. We trust that um, the praise has been great for you. You're greatly to be praised. You're so good to us. We're so grateful that our lives are in your hands. Our times are in your hands. Thank you for being with us this morning and how you're going to speak to our hearts. We're looking so forward to hearing from you. And and God, to a fresh work of your spirit within each one of us. And so thank you, Lord. We give you our attention. May we have ears to hear what the spirit is saying this morning and put into practice the things you teach us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. All right. So um, if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been talking about Paul has been talking about giving chapter eight and chapter nine. And now as we get into chapter 10 in this letter to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul is now going back to a topic that he had been previously speaking about. And, And what that is, is he's defending his apostolic authority. You guys remember kind of how we've got to this place where Paul's defending himself. There was a group in the church, a group of bozos that were um, causing problems within the church. I think in the New Testament, um, one of the names for this group is called Judaizers. And what the Judaizers would do, they would follow the Apostle Paul around. After he'd plant a church, they would creep into the church and they would say, it's great that you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. That's awesome. But now you must keep the Mosaic law. You must be circumcised. That's not good news, is it? No. You go from grace to works to your own efforts to attain or maintain righteousness. And so these groups had infiltrated the church and um, they were divisive. They caused problems within the fellowships. They were undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they were a constant source of division. And that's who Paul is addressing primarily um, in this letter. Um, He's dealing with a personal battle in the church with people that are trying to undermine him. And by the way, um, it's interesting just to take note, when you do something for the Lord, there's always those who are going to rip on you. Did you know that? Anytime you take a step out in faith, it is easier to criticize than to actually step out and do something yourself. And so they're being super critical of the Apostle Paul. And the problem is the rest of the church, they're buying into it. They're buying into the nonsense. And so Paul, rather than fight his battle or defend himself 
using carnal methods. You guys ever defend yourself carnally, fleshly? Never happened with you guys? Rather than do that, he is battling in the spirit. He's using the weapons of our warfare that are mighty in God. Amen? Well, let's check it out. Let's see what Paul says here. Let's see what God's word says. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And so let me draw your attention to verse one. Paul's making a, an appeal. He's begging the church here. I mean, can you picture the Apostle Paul begging? That's what he's doing here. And that word is the same word in which we, um, we get the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the, the, uh, the, the paraclete who comes alongside and urges us. There's a holy urging, a compelling. The Apostle Paul saying, I'm coming alongside you and I'm pleading with you. I'm begging with you. Notice how with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, his kindness, his lowliness. In fact, Jesus said that about himself, didn't he? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. And so Paul is appealing in that way to them. And then this is probably, we're going to see in just a few minutes, this is one of the accusations that they were making against Paul at the end of verse 1. In presence, Paul says, I'm lowly among you. I'm in total agreement. I'm humble, lowly in heart among you. Shy, reserved, timid is also uh, some other definitions of this word. And he says, being absent, I'm bold or courageous towards you. And what's so interesting, we're going to see in just a moment, that was an accusation that these guys were making about the Apostle Paul. But listen, that's a good accusation to have made about you because Jesus was both lowly in heart and courageous, wasn't he? Correct? And everything he did was in humility. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the the humble. And so um, Paul says in the next verse, I'm pleading with you, I beg you, that when I'm with you, I don't want to be heavy. I don't want to be bold with that confidence that I need to be against some. Although I'm persuaded, Paul says, it's necessary. I'm planning on being that way with a few of you there. Notice the word some, with some of you. Some of the people in the church, and again, I think it's these guys, Paul's opponents, that were, what was the, the next accusation that they were making about Paul? That what? That he's walking in the flesh. The things he does are carnal. The way that he does ministry, the way that he does life, the way that he acts is carnal or fleshly. And again, some were accusing Paul of that, and some, some bought into that also, that Paul was fleshly or carnal. And so he's, look at verse 3, his response. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For, here's why, for is a reason word, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God. For doing what? For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing 
that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so what does Paul say in verse 3? Hey, listen, we do walk in the flesh in the sense that we're human beings. We are in physical bodies. We all struggle with the same things. And not only that, we struggle against our old nature also. Don't we struggle against our old nature? By the way, that's evidence that you're born again. Dead men don't wrestle, but now that we've been made alive in Christ, we do. There's a battle that goes on. The spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, right? We have that battle that goes on within us. And so Paul says, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war. Paul says, I do not conduct my ministry. I do not live out my Christian life according to the flesh. It's not by the flesh we operate. It's not by the flesh we pursue the victory to pursue, uh, to pursue the things of God in our lives. We are in a war and we are in a spiritual battle, you guys. And listen, I know sometimes when people hear that in the world, they think we're nuts, don't they? They hear hear us talk about a spiritual battle. But really, if if the veil was pulled back, we'd be blown away by what's going on behind the scenes. Remember what happened with Daniel. The Lord gave him a glimpse of all these amazing things, the spiritual battle that was going on. It took his breath away. He was broken in the Lord's presence. And so there is a very real spiritual battle that we go through each and every day. We, war, we, we battle against the flesh, the world, and the devil, our three enemies. Right? Correct? Are you guys with me still this morning? And so notice, though, we do not war according to the flesh. This battle is not fought with physical weapons or carnal means. Listen, can I encourage us this morning? Carnal methods and carnal means don't get God's work done. Why? Because they're weak. And Paul, and let's bring this back into context, the Apostle Paul writing here, Paul is saying, I'm not going to use carnal methods, carnal weapons to defend myself to you. He's going to use spiritual weapons. And can I, can I ask you a question this morning? Are you in a battle right now? Are you in a battle right now? Some of you are laughing, shaking your head, yes. How are you, how are you fighting this battle? Are you fighting with spiritual weapons Or are you fighting with carnal weapons? Are you using the weapons that you once used before you came to know Jesus? Or are you trusting in God's provision this morning? Are you victorious or are you being overcome this morning? It's a great reminder for us this morning, isn't it? That we need to look to God's resources and not our own fleshly resources or the resources of the world. We need to look to the Lord. He's sufficient, isn't he? We're going to learn next in a couple of weeks, his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so Paul says in verse 4, listen, the war, the war we're in, we do have weapons, but they're not fleshly. Our weapons are not material. They are spiritual. And notice how great are these weapons. They are mighty in God. Don't you like that? They're mighty in God. The weapons that we have are powerful in the Lord. This is where, listen this morning, this is where we find our strength. And so what weapons do we have? What weapons do we have, you guys? Prayer and the Word. I love that. Prayer and the Word of God. Ephesians, where's it at? Ephesians Ephesians 6, right? Paul encourages us as believers in the spiritual battle we're in to put on the full armor. That's defensive, by the way. The helmet, 
right? Chest plate, belt, boots, the whole nine yards, right? Super vital to put that on. But then the two offensive weapons are the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. It's important to have both of those going, isn't it? It's like being in a street fight, and you got, if you have one hand behind your back, how are you going to do? But you got two. You got, got the big guns firing, the Word and prayer together. You're going to be doing some damage, man. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about demo this morning. Demolition. Some of you guys are, yeah. Some of the dudes. But listen, um, it takes faith in God to rely upon these weapons and not carnal methods. It takes faith. Because the world says those weapons are weak. What can prayer do for you? Right? Even some believers. That's all we can do is pray. Prayer is absolutely crucial. Our Lord prayed, didn't he? How often, you look at the Gospel of Luke, how often we're reminded of how Jesus prayed, prayed in public, prayed in private, prayed out loud, prayed in quiet. I mean, it's awesome to look at the life of our, if the Lord needed to pray, guess what? We do too, don't we? To stay connected, to abide in Christ, prayer is part of it. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do Nothing, nothing of any spiritual or lasting value, any any eternal value if you're not connected to him. But when we are connected to him in prayer, his word abiding in us, we bear much fruit. Are you with me? Super crucial stuff this morning. It seems so weak and, and they're so humble to use the word of God in prayer. But that's what God has given us and they are mighty in God. Remember, you guys remember when David was gonna go fight Goliath? You guys remember that? And Saul pulled him in for a minute into his office. You remember that? Hey, come into my office for a minute. I got something for you, kid. You can't go out there with your little sling and rocks. What are you, nuts? You got to go out and overpower and dominate and bring your strength. Here's what I got for you. Check out this helmet, dude. I mean, can you imagine little David putting on all the armor and he's starting to wobble? And he's like, I can't use these. I've trusted in God. He's delivered me from the lion, from the bear. I'll continue to look to him and to the resources he's given me. That's trusted. That's tried. That's true. Listen, the word of God in prayer, that is how we do battle. Those weapons are mighty in God. Listen, carnal weapons dominate, outmaneuver, overpower. Spiritual weapons We humble ourselves. We die to ourselves in order to experience the Lord's resurrection power, to experience true strength. We go into the battle, listen, this morning, we go into the battle following Jesus. Not only following Jesus, but doing it his way, following his example and trusting in his strength alone. And when we operate in the flesh, we will never accomplish the purposes of God. Well, what do we use the weapons for, you guys? Look what it says. The verse tells us, doesn't it? Demolition or pulling down, that's what that word means. Demolition, destroying, taking apart, stronghold, strong walled fortresses. Well, what are those? A couple of things false arguments, false ideas, notions that we find shelter in, false arguments we use to escape reality. Fortresses provide defense, and we, have cert- we certainly have some ungodly defense mechanisms, don't we? There are things that are so 
There are things that are so ingrained in us, things that we've been taught, things that we've learned, ways of thinking, but then we believe are right, but what happens? Then we start to learn the word of God, and, we, and guess what happens? We learn that that's wrong. <laughs> the way I'm to treat my spouse, the way I'm to treat people, the way I'm to deal with this situation. And building, listen, building fortresses takes time. Think about it for years. We built some of, some of those things that are so ingrained in us, so built up. But guess what? And we protect our fortresses, right? We don't want to give up this attitude or way we do things. And guess what? The Holy Spirit this morning wants to do some demo in your life and in mine. That we might stop relying on carnal thinking. And I know it's hard to let go. There are some areas that are hard, aren't there hard to let go things in our lives Ways we've done things for so long. And then the Lord just shines his light right into our mind life, into the, thing, the way we think, the way we do things, the way we respond, our attitudes. And it's like, I get, okay, I get it, Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I give this over to you. I need you. And if I continue to fight with carnal, listen, if I continue to fight with carnal weapons, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying I know better than God. My ways are better than his ways. If I keep fighting with worldly, carnal weapons, what happens? I'm exalting me. I'm saying, I know better. I'm strong. I can do this. As opposed to saying, Lord, I need you. I trust your word. This is your word, straight from your heart to mine, that you love me. Your word is living and powerful, dividing between that which is soulish, that which is spiritual, the, the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I need to make a change. These things need to come down. Casting down, look at verse 5. means to forcibly yank, demolish, leave nothing standing. What are we, what are to, what's to be cast down? Arguments. Calculated arguments, reasonings, thoughts, personal opinions, personal values that we put a lot of weight into that are contrary to the word of God and the character and nature of God. You guys catch that? That was, a lot. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Let me, give, let me just give us an example. You guys remember the greatest in the kingdom teachings that Jesus gave? Anybody remember the greatest? If you want to be great, what was the, what was the disciples' big argument always? Who's going to be the greatest? And how did they operate? Remember James and John sent their mommy? Right? We want the best seats in the house. Mommy, will you do something for us? Go ask Jesus for it, and we'll stand right behind you looking all humble. And <laughs> Can you imagine when Jesus said, it's not mine to give? We sent our mom to do what in front of the guys? <laughs> Jesus said, it's not mine to give. Listen. And then what's so beautiful, though, you know, James and John, they were secretive. They were sly, manipulative. That's worldly carnal thinking. We're going to get the greatest seats and the guys have no clue. We're going to backdoor. That's how we operate though, don't we? We manipulate, even in marriage. Some of us, we manipulate our spouses. Kids manipulate parents. It's like, that's carnal thinking. That's carnal methods. That's what James and John did. And then what happened? And then they get exposed. What's so awesome? And, and, that, and being secretive, manipulative, power hungry, it always causes division. Because it says, it's in Matthew 20. You can look at it later. 
It says the ten were displeased with the two. Go back and look at when you get to The ten were displeased with the two. Because that's what happens when we're, when we're power hungry, secretive, manipulative. What happens? It causes division. But then what does Jesus do? He called them unto himself. That's always, listen this morning, please, brothers and sisters. That's always where revival happens in our, our lives, our marriages, our homes, and in the church is coming back to Jesus. It's simply coming to him. Anytime, anywhere, no matter what's going on, you come back to Jesus. And what did he say? Listen, guys, check this out. In the world, that's how they operate. They lord it over people. They, they step on people to climb the corporate ladder. That's how they do business in the world, but not in my kingdom. If you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of who? Of all. The people you like, the people you don't like. You become a servant. And then he gave the qualifying statement, didn't he? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What was he doing? He's, he's tearing down strongholds. Letting them understand, bringing understanding to them, shining light, demonstrating for them. Jesus is so beautiful, isn't he? The way he operates. Notice also casting down what else? Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So many things lift themselves up in opposition to God's word. And I love how Jesus, remember how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day? He would ask him a question, the power of a question. Have you never read? Did they, did they never read? Did they never read what Jesus would talk about? Of course they read. They had it memorized. They had the Bible memorized, the scriptures memorized. Of course they had read, but it all went right up here. It all went right into their noggin. Oh, it was all memorized. They had their scripture memory verses down. But the problem was it wasn't applied in their lives. Have you never read? Took them right back to the Word of God. Bringing down strongholds with traditions and false teaching and all of that. Remember when, remember when Jesus shared with his disciples, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer, die, be buried, but rise again on the third day. And what did Peter do? Remember when Peter did that one time? He took Jesus aside and did what? Hug him? Did he hug him? What did he do? Get him lunch? You guys, you guys know what he did. He rebuked him. You can't be making negative confessions like that. Come on. You're the conquering king. That's a loose paraphrase, by the way. <laughs> and what did Jesus do? It's interesting. It says he turned and looked at them all. And said, get behind me, Satan. How, how was Peter feeling right about then? Because that's where, that, that's where his rebuke came from came from the pit of hell. That's wisdom that is earthly, sensual, demonic. That's not wisdom that, that comes from above, that comes from our Father. That's wisdom of this earth. And he said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but mindful of the things of man. Because why? He's saying, don't go the way of the cross. You don't need to suffer. You can just set up the kingdom right now. And that's always, listen, the enemy always works that way to tell us, don't go the way of the cross. You don't need to go that way. It's too hard, too difficult. But that's where we find life, isn't it? Isn't that where we find life, right? Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross. Quarterly. 
daily, and then what? Follow me. That's where life is found. That's the best part is following Jesus. Say no to the self, death to the self, and following Jesus is where we find like those, those things, those things that we have in our, in our, in our minds and our hearts that need to be torn down happen with the word of God and prayer and then bringing every thought into captivity. Look what it says. This is so good. Taking our mind life and bringing it into subjection to the obedience of Jesus. Bringing our mind life and bringing it into subjection of our Lord who gave his life, shed his blood, died for us, and rose again. Every thought, notice it says every thought, every conclusion we come to, what we ponder, think upon, we must what? We must capture it and make sure it's pleasing to Jesus. Make sure it's in line with his word. Think about every thought. What kind of thoughts do we have? Lust, anger, greed. Bitterness, lies. Does anybody have those thoughts ever? This is church. Don't be lying in church now. Come on. (laughs) We do, don't we? So when that pops up on the radar, when that pops up in your noggin, what are we supposed to do? We bring it captive to Jesus. We don't let it play out because that's what we can do, can't we? Is that what we can do sometimes? We do. We let our minds go. We start to go, we let our minds run, we go into fantasy land. You want to understand why somebody does something, you're like wondering how in the world did that happen? How in the world did that person get involved in that? How, how did the world that, that person fall? It's because it didn't just happen overnight, it happens incrementally, slowly drift. We start to play with stuff in our mind and we let it run in our mind and we play fantasies through our heads and then all of a sudden that situation arises and you know what happens? But We don't even have to think about it because we've already played it out in our mind so many times that it just, boom, it just happens. That's why it's, this is such a crucial lesson this morning for us, for me, for all of us, that we would bring those thoughts captive to Jesus. And I would say, you know what's interesting this morning? We have the ability to do that. No one can say, I can't do that. There's no way... We have the ability, he tells us to do that, to have discipline over our thoughts. We have to choose to do that because, listen, right thinking leads to right living. And we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then he talks about, look at verse 6 as he finishes up this little section on the spiritual battle we're in. He says, you're ready because you're prepared to punish, to take vengeance, to bring justice on all disobedience. When? When your obedience is fulfilled. When you listen and you hear and you do what God's telling you to do. You submit to God's word. And there's victory. It's that simple, isn't it? Is it important to do God's word? It is. Listen, I'm an expert in something. I'm, I know no one can tell me differently. I am an absolute expert in this. You guys ready for this one? I am an expert in applying scripture to your life. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. It's okay. I need to be an expert in applying scripture to my life. To being, we need to be doers of the word. And the problem that we run into is we're so eager to fix everyone else. I gotta fix this person. I gotta fix. I want to correct this person. In reality, we're first and foremost called to obedience to do what the Lord calls us to do. 
means to be poised and ready, prepared to bring swift judgment on my own sin by doing what's right in God's eyes. Well, Paul goes on, verse 7 through 11. Let's check it out. He says, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, and he belongs to Jesus, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us, why did he give us authority? For edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, and here's what the opposition was accusing Paul of or criticizing him of, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person or let such a person consider this that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. I love that. God needs good, sturdy shepherds, and Paul was one of them. Look at verse 7. Here's, a wrong, here's an example of wrong thinking that needs demo. What does he say? Do you only look at or come to conclusions by looking at physical appearances? That's what they were doing. They were, they were critical of the Apostle Paul coming to conclusions based upon his physical appearance. Do you guys ever do that? We do, we do do that, don't we? We come to conclusions about people based upon their physical appearance. It happens to godly people. Remember Samuel? You guys remember Samuel? You guys remember Samuel in the Old Testament? Remember when he was to go to anoint the next king of Israel? Saul got disqualified. Remember that? God said to him, go to the house of who? Whose house? Jesse. Go to Jesse's house. Right? And I will show you the one whom I've picked as king. And so, remember Samuel cruises there, right? Have a little barbecue. And then Jesse brings out his seven boys. The first, I think the first one was Eliab, right? And here comes Eliab. He comes like, almost like down the catwalk. Here he comes. And Samuel's like, that's the guy. Look at this stud muffin. That's him. Okay, the Lord's anointed right here. And remember what God, God spoke to him. He said, I didn't pick him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what Paul's saying here. You're judging by external appearances, and your judgments are way off, man. In fact, he says in the second half of that verse, hey, if anyone thinks they're a Christian... That person needs to pause and think about this. Just as he belongs to Jesus, we belong to Jesus too. We're on the same team, he's saying. We're, on the same, we're partners. These guys are acting like Jesus is on their side, but he's on our side too. We're in this together. And then in verse 8, Paul's like, listen, if I continue to brag, um, if I'm going to brag a little bit more about our God-given authority, I'm not going to be ashamed of that. My heart is not to terrify you with my letters it's so, there's such an, a crucial principle here, you guys, in verse 8. I don't want to miss this. Notice Paul speaking about the authority that he received. 
It was given by the Lord for what? Edification. That means to build up. And not for your destruction. This is so important here. Parents, husbands, leaders, any of us that has any authority that's been given to us by God, God has given us authority to build up and not to tear down. This is such a a crucial lesson. So important. Everyone needs to be edified and not destroyed. Uh, I think in context, Paul's saying, listen, be really careful about judging others. Be really careful about trying to correct others, fix others. God is at work in their lives. And when God is using us to help others, it's to build them up, to lift them up, to strengthen them in their walk with the Lord. And that, listen, any godly leader, that is their heart, is to see you built up, to see that you have a vision for discipleship, a direction you're headed to help you with that, to help you along in your, in your, in your relationship as you grow with Jesus. That should be the heart of every minister in the church, not misusing the authority that's given or abusing it, using the Bible to tear people up. It's so wrong. Or to cut people down. It is to build up. And so God has given us authority to build, even in our homes, gang, with our spouses, with our kids. That authority that's been given to us by the Lord is to edify, to build up, and not for destruction. And then Paul says in verse 10, check it out, look what he says. This was the accusation, the anti-Paul guys. What were they saying? His letters, they've got some force. They're engaging. But look at this guy physically. He's wimpy. That's what I mean. Sick, sickly, wimpy. They criticized Paul's physical appearance. And his speech contemptible. It's worthless. They're saying the guy's a joke. When he gets up to preach, he's a joke. He's not a good orator. He, man, he's not polished. He's not entertaining. He's not smooth at all. And by the way, the Corinthian culture, they put a premium on physical appearance, right? You see all their little false gods and idols, all these like ripped dudes and, and, and beautiful women. They put a premium on that. And they're saying, Paul, look at this dude. Lumpy. He's probably got bumps all over him from his beatings and cut up and scarred up. But he's wimpy looking. He's just a little guy. And the way he speaks, the Corinthians put a premium on their speech. The way that they talked, the way that they orated, the way that they preached. They used big $100 words and very slick in the way they presented their material. And they said about Paul, this guy's brutal. This guy's boring. You know what's interesting? Paul did it that way, though, didn't he? He did it that way on purpose. Did you know that? Remember our study in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You guys remember? You guys remember? Listen, the, the Corinthian church was born in weakness. A work of the Spirit. Born in weakness and brokenness. And what is born in the spirit and weakness needs to continue in the spirit, you guys. And that's what's happening. You've got a bunch of leaders in the church that are trying to hijack the church and go a different direction. Trusting in carnal weapons and carnal means and carnal methods. And Paul is not saying, oh, I'm so bummed they're saying bad things about me. I'm just going to just... 
He's like, they're pulling, they are pulling this crew, they're pulling people away from Jesus. A simple love relationship, a simple reliance and trust in the Lord and in his word. He's like, they're not going to get away with it. When I get there, I'm going to, you know what? I may look sickly. That's like an unveiled threat, isn't it? I'm going to deal with these guys. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said to them, 1 Corinthians 2, I knew I'd get there in a minute. Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why, Paul, why'd you do it that way? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's beautiful. These self-serving fake leaders, they were sin-sniffing, fault-finding, critical, and they're taking the church in a wrong, bad direction, and Paul's going to deal with it. He said, I'm going to deal with these guys when I show up. And then in verse 12, look what he says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with who? With those who commend themselves, those who pat themselves on the back, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not, what does your Bible say? are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as, as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Paul's got like one of those Pauline run-on sentences, doesn't he? It just goes on and on and on. So let's break it down real quick. Verse 12, Paul's like, we have no business classing ourselves, it means to put ourselves in the same category as these guys, the opponents, or comparing ourselves with these guys, those that are praising and honoring themselves, because their standard of measurement is what? What does it say? Their standard of measurement is themselves. And, and you know, we can do that too, can't we? He doesn't do what I do. She doesn't have quite, she doesn't get up like I do at five o'clock every morning and read my Bible and pray. And we're, I, we're the few, the proud, the spiritual Marines. They're not like us, <laughs> honey. We compare ourselves with one another. We measure ourselves against each other and make an assessment. I'm better than that loser. They only come to church once a quarter. They only come to church CEO, Christmas, Easter only. Priesters, we call them. Some of you get that later too. It's okay. <laughs> and you know, when we compare ourselves with one another, it's usually one of three things or all three or two of the three or some of the three. 
We, we, we compare ourselves, it's typically brains, power, and wealth. That person's not as smart as I am. Man, I went, to, I went to this school, I did this. That person doesn't have any education. That guy, how about dudes? That guy's not as tough as I am. I could put, I could put him down. <laughs> right? I'm tougher than you, dude. Or wealth. Maybe it's not even verbalized, but it's internalized, we think, those things. In fact, we're going to learn in just a minute, God said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but he who boasts, boasts in this, that he knows and understands me, says the Lord. That needs to be our boast, not looking at other people and saying, I'm better than so-and-so because of this or because of that. Because I'm judging by outward appearances, and that's why Paul's saying this. That's what they were doing. That's what the opposition was doing to Paul. False leaders, they talk themselves up. They, they talk a good game. They boast about themselves. They have an outward appear. They have an outward attitude. They have an attitude of superiority. Why? Because of their outward success. Or they tear down others to make themselves look good. You guys ever experienced that before? And here's the thing about Paul's opponents. They were doing this. I, I think they knew the word of God. I think they knew the word of God inside and out. They spoke the word of God beautifully with all, again, polished speakers. And the problem was they weren't doing the word of God. They weren't applying the word of God in their own lives. And the fruit of that was what? leading disciples away after themselves. That's a, warning about, that's a warning about a wolf, Acts 20. Those that speak perverse things, leading the disciples after themselves, not pointing people to Jesus, but pointing people to a man or a movement rather than to the Lord. And listen, it's, can I just encourage us this morning? It's never wise to compare ourselves with others because when we look at our brothers and sisters, sometimes we're in different seasons, aren't we, in life? Some of us are in different areas of our walk. What we should be doing is to be praying, to be sharing the word and love, sharing the truth and love we're called to do. Not to tear down, but to build up our brothers and sisters. Because we're a family, aren't we? We are family. Amen. We're going to be together for eternity. So we need to start getting along right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 13. Check it out. We're not going to go on boasting and boasting, Paul says. We only boast about what God has given to us, what he's appointed to us. And he's going to use this word sphere. It speaks about your realm of ministry or your circle of influence. In the Greek, it means your lane. So this is Paul's lane he's to operate in. Chuck, he's got that lane down there. And Michael, he's got a lane over there. Each person, the Lord gives each one of us a lane to operate in. And Paul says the lane that we've been given, the sphere of influence, the sphere of ministry, includes you Corinthians. You're part of that lane. And so Paul goes on, look what he says in verse 14. We're not extending beyond our limits. We're not leaving our lane. Some people leave their lanes. Did you know that? That's what these, that's what these creeps were doing. They were trying to get into Paul's lane, into his sphere of authority. 
And Paul said, we're not going beyond our limits. We're not leaving our lane. You're part of our sphere of authority God has given us. We delivered the good news of Jesus Christ to you first. We came to you. And God granted Paul, the Apostle Paul, this sphere of, of authority that included the Corinthian church he founded. Can I encourage us this morning just to remind us all godly authority has a sphere, parameters in which they are to operate in and not go outside of that sphere. Apparently, Paul's opponents were trying to take Paul's authority. It didn't belong to them. They stepped into Paul's lane, and what did they do? They began to cast bad light upon him, talk trash about him, to tear him down. That's dangerous anytime we try to take someone else's authority. Remember what happened with Moses and Korah? You guys remember that story? Those stories are written for our admonition, for our learning. Korah tried to lead a rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And it's awesome to study how Moses responded when, when gnarly stuff went down in ministry. What did, remember what he did? He prayed. Spiritual weapons, right? Spiritual battle we're in. He didn't say, all right, let's go. Let's throw down, man. You guys think you're bad. Let's go. Let's catch these hands. No, he prayed. He sought the Lord. Can, can I encourage you this morning? Be faithful in whatever God's given you. Whatever lane he's put before you, don't strive for a different lane that God hasn't given you. Because we do, don't we? I don't like the lane I'm in, Lord. This lane's no good. I like his lane. I like Pastor Mike's lane. I want that... I want the senior pastor lane. Listen, if you're called to be a senior pastor, if there's anyone here called to be a senior pastor, go. Go plant a church. Because there's, there's already a senior pastor here. <laughs> it's Jesus Christ. I'm the under-shepherd. But go. Listen, take, step out in faith that God's calling you. He'll give you what you need. We're not taking credit. Verse 15, Paul says, for someone else's accomplishments in ministry. We have hope that as you grow in your, in your trust in the Lord, as you mature in Christ, the ministry is going to thrive. He says, I want our sphere to grow as you grow. I want your ministry to expand to those who don't know Jesus, that they would come to get saved, be touched by the Lord, to preach the good news in new territories. And look at the end of verse 16 as we finish up here this morning. And not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. He says, we won't be taking credit for someone else's work. Listen, this morning, fake leaders take credit for what God does through someone else's life. They acted like they planted the church. They took the accolades for what God did through Paul's life. They boasted in Paul's sphere of accomplishment. And now they were hijacking the church, going in a different direction. And listen, Paul's concerned because, listen, the flock belongs to Jesus. You guys are his precious blood. We are his precious blood-bought people. You realize that this morning? He loves you so much. You've been bought at a price. You belong to Jesus. 
blood-bought. The church doesn't belong to a man or a group of men. It belongs to the Lord. And as an under-shepherd, Paul cared deeply about these people. He viewed his stewardship seriously, soberly. Paul wasn't lording it over them, but he wanted them to see clearly, to see what's happening. These guys were going to derail the church. And a servant of God is thankful for the ministry that God has given them. A servant of God stays in the lane that God has called them to and is faithful not to jump in someone else's lane. And not just that, it's where the glory goes. Look at it as we finish, two verses. But he who glories, if you're going to boast, let him glory in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's the Luke 9, 23 and 24. The fake leaders were boasting in themselves, right? Drawing attention to themselves rather than glorifying God. And listen, self-absorption is a sign of spiritual immaturity. If we represent God, we need to give him the glory because he will share his glory with no man. Have you given him glory? Are you giving him glory this morning? Has God provided for you? Has God taken care of you? Has God blessed you? Has God blessed you with a spouse? Some of you, has God a spouse for you? Give him glory. Has God given you a home? Has God given you food? Clothed you? Guys, he's given us an awesome church, hasn't he? We're so blessed. I need to give him glory for that. It means to make him look good, by the way. When we say, because somebody says, what, what does that mean? It means to make him look good. The very thing that the false teachers were doing, they were taking the glory, making themselves look good. And Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to glory, glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Guys, we want to have the Lord commend us. Not the approval of men, because some of us live for the approval of men. That's emptiness. You'll never please men. There's only one person you and I need to please, and that's Jesus. Amen. And guess what? He's not hard to please. He's not hard to please. He loves you. He cherishes you. You stay close to Jesus. Amen? Amen. In his name. Lord, thank you so much. Such a great passage. Such great reminders, Lord. And all the new stuff, too, that you're teaching us.